face to face, hand to hand, film to film. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. I am James Shergan. I am joined here by Inyaki and Liniero. Uh, how are you doing, Inyaki? I'm doing well, I'm doing well, you know. I always enjoying being a uh, part of the uh, best po- podcast about movies in the world. Yeah. Welcome to episode two. Uh, we, are, uh, we are currently in the coronavirus quarantine. In case you're listening to this in the year 2022, where hopefully we are out of this uh, public health uh, debacle. Um, have you been uh, watching a lot of movies? You know, I, I have, I have. I have. How about you? Uh, I have as well. I have been going through a major Italian movie kick. Apparently, all I've been watching is made in Italy between 1968 and 1978 or so. Really? And why is that? I don't know. I don't know. I looked back in the past week and I was like, what did I watch? I was like, wow. I pretty much only saw movies from Italy. Uh, A lot of Italian horror, a lot of uh, uh, Italian crime films, like the one we're going to talk about today. Um... But yeah, I've been I've been on a major kick. What about yourself? Uh, you know, uh, for being uh, Asian History Month, <laughs> I've watched a couple of uh, Kurosawa movies. Not Kurosawa, no Miyazaki. Completely different Asian guy. So uh, that's it. Uh, not much. <laughs> okay. Well, I have been on a different continent than you, but that's all right. I also love my Miyazaki films. So today we are going to be talking about Caliber 9. Um, and unlike last time, I am going to remember to do our synopsis here. So this is the quick two-sentence synopsis of the movie plot um, that I think I pulled off of Wikipedia, if I remember right. Um, the police and the mob go after a small-time gangster Hugo Piazza after his release from prison. They suspect he has hidden $300,000 of stolen money, which belongs to an American drug dealer. Um, you're, for, you're forgetting the small detail that he wants to go straight. Does he? I don't even think he does. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but that's what Wikipedia says. Uh, Wikipedia actually says that? Yeah. I don't think he wa- I don't think there's any indication he wants to go straight, so... I, I, I'm calling fake news on you, Wikipedia. I don't know who put that, but uh, I don't think I, I, I don't find that to be very accurate. Um, so uh, this film, I believe, was released in 1972. Um, it was, uh, I think, a modest success in Italy. It's not as well known. Uh, it's not super well known film uh, as our. A lot of these Italian crime films aren't super well-known, but this is definitely one of the more well-known ones. In particular, Quentin Tarantino has shouted out this film before. Um, What what was your experience watching it? This is your first time viewing it, right? Yeah, this is my first time viewing it. Uh, This is my first time viewing uh, an Italian crime movie that is not about, you know, some sort of mafia or whatever. Um, To be honest... I was very pleasantly surprised. I actually, I mean, not that I had uh, low expectations. I really didn't have expectations. And from from what I saw, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I was surprised that although having a very simple plot, it was very intriguing and the dialogue was really well written. Yeah. uh, And it's... uh... It's pretty, uh, this is my third time viewing it, and so it's interesting to see it, especially once you know sort of like this, 
this plot has a lot of like twists and and like turns and uh, it's supposedly very inspired by American film noir and we can think of some of the really compl- complicated uh, plot lines of like the big sleep of some like the American noir where you're not really quite sure what's going on most of the time and you can sort of see uh, that influence here in this film too. Um, so this is actually my third time watching it. Uh, I saw it, I think, about a year ago, and then I watched it a couple months ago, too. And then for this podcast, I, I had a third viewing of it. Um, and uh, You must really like this movie to watch it three times. I, I think three times is, is one time too many. <laughs> I think I've seen it a few too many times this year, but I do enjoy it. I think it's a, a, a really solid film. It's fun to watch. Um, I are you familiar with the uh, some of the French crime films of like the sixties, seventies, like uh, Les Samurai? Yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah. I mean, like, I remember watching uh, Rififi, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Okay. The heist movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in comparison, those films are very um, classical, uh, and this film, I would say, is a lot more. Uh, just it has a lot of energy going on. It's just very kinetic, uh, and maybe that's mm. part of just like being a decade later or a couple decades later in the case of Rafifi. Uh, but it just uh, has a lot of that 70s energy going on. Right, right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, this film was directed by uh, Fernando DeLeo. He was uh, sort of got his start in the Italian film industry as a writer. He wrote a couple of the... Uh, was an uncredited writer on a couple of the Sergio and Leone rest westerns, a few dollars more, and uh, and a fistful of dollars. So a couple of those famous Clint Eastwood ones, um, and he supposedly really really liked American film noir, and so uh, he's definitely more well known as being sort of a crime film director in Italy. This is the first film of I think it's called the Mil- Milieu trilogy. Uh, so he did three different films there, uh, and this is the first one. Uh, and uh, it sort of is at the beginning of sort of this Italian crime movie wave. And it's a genre that's just really not as well known as something like the Italian westerns, the spaghetti westerns, or the giallo films. And I think, I, I don't know, I, I think it does deserve a little bit of recognition. Um, no, I, I mean, I was very surprised for, uh, with what I saw, and I definitely want to, after this movie, I definitely want to see more uh, of his movies. But James, let, tell me, why do you like this movie so much? I think it's just a fun movie. I mean, I, I, I feel like this film, uh, we talked a lot about Mother and Bong Joon-ho, about like all the social commentary and stuff like that. There's a little bit of that in some of these Italian crime movies, uh, in the sense that, like, Italy, like America, had a lot of crime going on supposedly during this time. But they're mainly just fun movies. Uh, there's like mm. a lot of uh, – just a lot of energy as I, I commented earlier. Uh, the soundtrack, which I think we should definitely do- get into, is awesome. Um, it's done yes. by uh, Luis Bakalov who is like an Argentine-Italian composer. He did a whole lot of scores. But it was a collaboration with Osana, which is apparently some sort of a prog rock group, which is just a really interesting combination. But I think my favorite moments of the film uh, were mainly at the beginning and the very end when that soundtrack is just sort of going full blast um, and we see a lot of the stuff going on. I, I got I to gotta agree with you. Actually, probably one of the first things that I noted on the when watching this movie was 
uh, right in the prelude, or basically when they're doing the first heist, you have sort of this string, uh, string music with a 70s beat behind it, and then all of a sudden it starts rocking out with the electric guitar, and then it goes back to sort of the orchestral music, and then the, the rock, and it just get, gets you really pumped and really excited about it, which... Uh, I, re- I enjoyed it. I agree completely with you. This is a fun, it's a very fun movie to be watching. Yeah. And camera the whole time feels very um, handheld. And mm-hmm. sometimes I can be a fan of that, other times not. But it gives it a pretty different feel than more of the um, more uh, static films from, uh, from uh, previous times. And that I think combines with that sort of like pop-in soundtrack to, uh, to just create a lot of energy to it. Um, do you want to talk about the opening of the film? Sure, yeah. Um, well, I guess uh, to get started, the, the movie starts with uh, <clears throat> basically a heist sort of gone wrong. Uh, you have, uh, you have uh, this man who... <laughs> Actually, sorry. I, I just got to jump in a little bit on, on some of the imagery on the opening that I really enjoyed. So you, you are in Milan. Uh, I believe you're in Milan. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you are the, it's in Milan. You are in the middle of this plaza or this, uh, uh, you know, large square, and you have these pigeons just flying around, and then you got this, you have this guy uh, who is Pasquale who has a scar and has a pigeon on his shoulder. He just like kicks it out, spits on it, and then the movie <laughs> starts. And that's one thing I was just like. I, from starting from that, I said, "Okay, this is going to be a fun movie." <laughs> do you think that was a little bit of improv there, or do you think they uh, had a trained pigeon that he could spit on? I think it was probably. I think it was probably a coincidence. I don't know, to be honest. Probably, but uh, genius but, move to uh, choose to spit on the pigeon in in the spur of the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, but basically the movie begins with uh, this complex heist uh, where you have money, you have a hundred thousand dollars coming from a bank through a bag being transferred from one person to another at the square, and then uh, going to a metro and being transferred to another person, and then going into a car, and then basically yeah. that's when the conflict starts, which is where Rocco opens the car looks into it, and instead of being, you know, $100 in cash, you just have a bunch of white papers wrapped as if, if they were dollars. Yeah. And, and, then the, and then violence ensues, right? Yeah. Extreme violence. Every single member, every single person who was in, in that heist gets beat the, like, yeah. you beat the crap out of them, you got some blood, and then at the end, they're all blown up by... Dynamite. I know. Uh, <laughs> and that is like the first five minutes. Literally blown up with dynamite. Um, and might I add that uh, they don't really spare women and children or old people in this. Well, they do spell it spare children, I think. But they're, in the first five minutes, two of the people that get blown up by dynamite are, are a woman who's part of their scheme and an older uh, gentleman who definitely would qualify for Social Security in America. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, throughout the film, they they go back to the scheme a couple times of basically it's uh, suitcases and packages changing hands uh, several times. Um, And it's kind of interesting. It's a really engaging way uh, to sort of uh, start the film. And I guess you do know what's in there. One thing that I thought was also interesting is that they are using American currency for that first exchange. 
So it's three hundred thousand dollars in American cash. Well, but that that uh, that makes sense. So although it's not explicitly stated, and I mean uh, I'm probably jumping a little bit ahead, but uh, the money, is, I mean, all of these people were hired by uh, Americano. Yep. Which, you know, that means the American. Yeah. In Italian, so whoa, uh, I, you, I you just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but you know, like basically, I think that uh, well, the reason I was pointing it out is because again, we, when you go to Wikipedia, like they don't make that explicit, depending on on who on which version you're reading. But I'm pretty sure the guy the guy is supposed to be American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, and he's also played by an American actor, even though he's is he he's dubbed with Italian. There's a couple actually American actors. Uh, in this um, big American influence on, on some of these films. But I think it is interesting. I think you're right on about that. I think the implication is also that this is a international operation. So they're working in multiple currencies, uh, probably smuggling presumably drugs or something like that of some sort. Uh, so th- there's that. Um, but yeah, uh, and in that opening sequence, I don't think we actually even see uh, our main character Hugo Piazza anywhere until uh, until after that opening five minutes, unless I missed it. Yeah, I don't. No, no, I didn't see him either. I think he was. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what part he played on that. Yeah, although we find out later that uh, he spoilers he did indeed uh, steal the money. Um, <laughs> which is another part of my favorite uh, favorite part of the film after he sort of exits that shootout and uh, goes to finally get the money and he realizes he actually played everyone all along and basically had the long con going. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, really, really awesome opening scene. I love the scheme of just like people passing off these packages and, and uh, it, basically like super high stakes stuff and it works super well with the the music and you're right on about like uh just the film just getting super brutal really fast with uh Rocco basically playing a really really deranged character that just starts uh beating up everyone um one of the scenes that was censored is actually the uh barbershop scene at the beginning where he goes in he pushes the barber over and just starts cutting the old guy's face up um, yeah. So it's apparently that is somewhat censored. Um, oh, so it's worse? Yeah, honestly, I don't know if we got the censored version or the uncensored version, but I, I think it could have been uh, quite violent. I mean, talk about – I mean, that is a uh, – that's a scheme that always works really well for me is like having someone come into a barber shop or something like that. I remember some of the mm-hmm. Japanese gangster films too in the last 10 years where you go into like a dentist chair – or going to a barber shop, <laughs> it it has a success rate of of like a hundred percent for me. I was gonna say, speaking of uh, since you brought the Japanese uh, angle, I'm not sure if Japanese movies were inspired. I mean, if if both Italian movies and Japanese movies took the the inspiration of American crime dramas and film noir very similarly, but I felt that there were a lot of similarities between this movie and Japanese movies, or, you know, especially, as well as anime. Like, the, the manner in which... Because, I mean, these are gangsters, many of them. Like, not the mafia, per se. Uh, and I'll get a little bit more into that later. But uh, this is, these are gangsters. But the way they, they communicate with each other, the way they, 
they're both friendly and then all of a sudden they're just beating the shit out of each other. The, the sound effects even and the yelling, all of that like uh, definitely uh, reminded me a lot of uh, certain animes and certain uh, uh, gangster movies from Japan Are you from the 80s. sort of thinking of like the Kitano films like Violent Cop, Boiling Point? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the Kitano movies and then I was thinking, I mean from anime these are more... Uh, uh, random ones like uh, Slam Dunk which is actually not at all about gangsters but there are a couple of scenes where uh, characters confront gangsters and they're portrayed very similarly just like right yeah like very yelly <laughs> yeah these are not like subdued sublime performances and even in like a movie like a gangster movie like The Godfather some of the performances here like Rocco would be way out of place in a film like The Godfather um, right. He's, he's just like that film is just much more subdued. Uh, anyways, uh, you touched on it earlier, talking about a little bit about uh, Milan, the city here. What did you? Uh, mm-hmm. I think one of the other cool things about some of these films is just taking advantage of these older European cities, and it's just a cool mm-hmm. setting to see, sort of like to use as sort of a backdrop for some of this gangster drama. Um, Giallo films also like really do take advantage of some of those like old European mm. gothic settings. Um, this film does a little bit of that. I think it's that scene with the pigeon at the end where they're sort of exchanging uh, suitcases and stuff right at the beginning is is cool to just see that. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what did you have any thoughts on the setting? Well, to be honest, uh, so Milan is one of the more quote-unquote mo- modern cities. I mean, of mm-hmm. course, just like being a city in, in, in Italy, it's, it has, you know, tons of really old buildings. But uh, I actually thought it was interesting because, you know, unlike Rome and other places where you, ha- I mean, uh, where you have more ruins, Milan is, it's, I mean, again, there are some ruins, but it's a little bit more subdued. And in fact... I, but I do agree with you, especially in the opening, where you had a juxtaposition between uh, sort of the old and the new. So you had a shot of you know some one of some of the few like ruins or old buildings from probably a thousand years ago, and then right after that you had a, a, a shot of you know a modern looking building, uh, probably built in the sixties. Right. Uh, uh, and you had that beautiful night shot of that. Right. And I guess this film has a lot of sort of contrasts like that, sort of the old gangsters, which we get sort of a taste of with the old mobster mm. that's blind versus the new ones like the uh, the American uh, Americano. Americana? Right. Yeah. Americano. Yeah. Who yeah. sort of has one of those uh, newer buildings that you described that's like very, very modern, very, very 70s to me, uh, just sort of the, mm-hmm. the modernity of it. Um, definitely not uh, an old ruin building so, or old uh, building like you were talking about, sort of like the square that we see at the very beginning of the film. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, I... I so I actually felt like there were some social commentaries in this movie, but uh, and I mean, and you mentioned that there were, uh, but I also like I was gonna say uh, in with regards to the mafia, uh, the old and the new. Yeah. I really enjoyed that discussion. So you have two. Uh, you had Chino, who is basically looks like it seems like he's uh, a hitman. He, yes. Uh, yes. For three yeah. million lira. So, which I frankly have no idea how much money that is. 
No, I didn't even bother to look it up because now they have the euro, so it's yeah. just hard to so imagine. So it's very, very hard, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but you, you got Chino, who he is, you know, a hitman who lives with his godfather, or at least what they call his godfather, right. which was uh, Don, Don Vicencio or something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, and and they sort of represent the old. Like yep. Chino, Chino is all about the rules. He he's like, hey, I will go and fuck with anyone, but I'm not gonna fuck with Americano because that's against the rules. And then at the same time, then you got Americano and his people, and they don't give a shit. Right. They just don't. Yeah. And that was that's a new and and you had a scene where Don Vicente basically saying like. You know, if people keep on killing each other, uh, we're going to get, uh, what was it? I wrote it down. Um, uh, we're going to, we're going to, basically they're going to establish the anti-mafia, right. which is what they did in the South. Uh, and then someone's like, but what does mafia have to do with this? And he's like, nothing. Yeah. Uh, th- these are all gangs. Uh, I mean, mafia, there hasn't been any mafia here or in the South for a long time. And then uh, in Italian he says, "La vera mafia es morta," which basically means uh, the real mafia is dead. And and I thought that was uh, an interesting. Uh, I I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting because I've, I've always conflated mafias and gangs myself. So uh-huh. just seeing that distinction was uh, sort of the contrast too. It is interesting, and yeah. it's also I mean one thing that undoubtedly was not. I doubt either of these movies had anything to do with each other comes out the same year as uh, The Godfather, um, 1972. Oh. So sort of an interesting coincidence, which is something that does show the mafia. I mean, that's, of course, in southern Italy, so Sicily, um, which is a totally different locale than uh, Milan. But it is interesting that those two come out. The other contrast of the film, and this is one of the parts that I actually have mixed feelings about. I'm not totally sure if I support having this part in, is the sort of uh, uh, the police commissioners. We have sort of a more old school mentality, which is played by mm-hmm. a more right wing commissioner and a more uh, progressive uh, liberal commissioner. Um, those parts are played by Frank Wolf, who is actually American, who plays the right wing. I think it's one of his last roles before he passed away. And then uh, mm. the other one's played by Luigi Pistilli, who plays the more left wing commissioner that uh, eventually ends up getting transferred to um, southern Italy. Yeah. I So I actually really like the discussion, and that, that's mainly because... Uh, I know a little bit of uh, Italian history, not a lot, uh, but it was this movie did come out right around the time where uh, in Italy and also internationally, you had many countries that were sort of undecided on whether or not they're going to be full-on capitalist and right-wing-ish versus you know full-on communist, and uh, around the seventies, you the you had a huge division between the right wing and the and the communists. You had even like almost uh, neo uh, neo fascist movements, along with like straight up communist like Marxist uh, or Soviet communist movements in Italy, and they almost went. They almost had a civil war, not not to that level, but I mean the animosity between those two ideas were really big, and that lasted until. Until 1973, and the only reason I know is because I'm Chilean, and it was uh, 
that in Chile there was the military coup after, you know, having the uh, Marxist socialist president and then being replaced by a extreme right-wing, yeah. Pinochet, extreme right-wing president. So the leader of the, of the Italian Communist Party basically was like, oh, shit, we don't want that to happen. So they completely softened up. And basically they sort of built like a, a like a grand compromise to make uh, Italy more uh, to make basically to make their ideas more mainstream and less extreme left and also to be able to unite with the the rest of the left wing people like the more regular you know like centrist people to be like let's stop fascists and neo fascists as well and i thought this movie encapsulates that time really well by the, having those discussions right I think that's a good uh, point. Uh, did, did did the movie seem to tip its hand at all? I have a bit more to say about this after this, but do you think the director had a certain side? I had a hard time telling. It seemed like he sort of wanted, was in the middle where it was trying to portray both views. I, I didn't get the impression that uh, DeLeo, uh, the director, uh, favored one side over the other, at least from yeah, this I work felt, of art. I felt like the director... To be honest, I felt like the director basically acknowledges both both sides, but I mean through the movie, what what I what I took out of the, from the movie was that the director acknowledged both sides, uh, but also noting that it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean the whole time those two police commissioners. So here is my complaint with it: is the whole time they're arguing. But in the end, they have very, very little to do with the sort of central part of the plot. So it almost feels like an interesting side plot. And I, I don't know. I mean, I like certain aspects of it. Like, I think that those two arguing is basically like the bulk of the social com or a huge chunk of the social commentary of the film, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. And I think you're right on that it does correctly encapsulate some of the tension going on worldwide, not just in Europe, but in South America and other places around the globe as well, as far as like left and right. Um, but uh, it doesn't necessarily tie super close into the film, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, I guess. I mean, well, I guess one thing you could take away. Uh, there, there was one dialogue, and this is uh, when uh, the deputy commissioner was promoted to be commissioner in the South. And, and there was that dialogue where basically he says, you know, the system, society, is what creates crimes because uh, you have all these poor people, all these people who are poor due to the system, and the only way for them to make a, a real living is through crime. And then you have the, the old commissioner basically saying, "No, I disagree. People are born. The, some people are born criminals." Yeah, and it's sort of. I I feel like actually to be honest, I think the, the statement the movie basically says is neither. Basically, the answer is neither. Uh, I mean, you could say that uh, the the so to spoil a little bit here. Um, uh, we have what was the name of the um, the girlfriend? Uh, Nelly. Nelly. Yeah. Nelly. So Nelly, from what we know, is uh, a girl who prob who probably was not very wealthy and. Earn her money uh, at a strip joint, 
or you know, strip club or some sort of thing. Yeah, maybe she's or, basically she's a stripper. I, it was unclear if she actually stripped, or, but dancing. I mean, or, or, or an exotic dancer, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Uh, but the question, and you know, there's a scene where basically she she meets up with Hugo for her for the first time after you know three years. Hugo sees her her place, and it's a lot nicer than, than it used to be. Granted, it's though it's nice. It's a studio. Let's just want to <laughs> add that little tidbit. It, it, there. It's a big studio. It's it's maybe the size of your studio. It could be like seven hundred, eight hundred square feet. <laughs> I mean, no, it's bigger than my studio. I mean, it depends on the location of Milan, but it could be a pretty nice place. You know, <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, what? I mean, I. Not to go on too big a tangent, but I mean that place is like a couple hundred dollars on Airbnb. Anyways, continue your point. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, no, but what I noticed is like, I guess my question is, how poor was she? Where she, did she come from? Did she need to do you know to be an exotic dancer? Obviously, she made a lot more money not by being an exotic dancer, but by actually, you know, uh, teaming up with uh, Luca. To commit some crimes, right? Uh, and Luca, who is also, it looks like he's the son of you know a bartender. Yeah. Also, interesting. I, one thing that, uh, sorry to interrupt. One thing that uh, that that might imply that I hadn't thought of until you brought it up is the idea that maybe she this wasn't the first time she pulled off a crime with Luca, and maybe that's the reason why her apartment is nicer. Oh yeah, I, I, I mean that's what I asked you. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you are uh, an astute observer. Uh, to pick that up in in one viewing, but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, 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 Hugo, when he saw her, saw her place, he was like, "Wow, this is a lot nicer than it used to be." And then she kind of says, "Well, I had to do a lot of things to get where I am right now." And I don't know. I took it as she did more than just uh, dance. Mm. Mm-hmm. Originally, I originally I thought that maybe you know she. Uh, sold her body or something like that but uh hooking yeah but but it sounds more plausible that she right after we figure out the twist of the film that she basically double crosses luke uh double crosses uh yugo it makes sense that she would maybe be doing some crimes on the side with uh with uh luca exactly so i i I don't know uh so so i mean it kind of opens the question of all right well was she born evil? Was Luca born, you know, born cr- uh, criminals, or were they born in circumstances where they they fell into crime in order to get the lifestyle that is being sold by the consumer capitalist view? And at the end of the day, like, the answer could be either. Right. I mean, I would think that the film tends towards the answer that they were not born criminals. But it is, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose, not spelled out crystal clear one way or the other. You could interpret well, it either way. Well, you mentioned that you knew the answer here. So what is the answer, Professor? <laughs> what, what, the, what the answer? Uh, on the, on uh, which side uh, the director... Oh, I don't think it's clear. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I think... In reality. Oh, in reality. In real I mean, having seen his other films... He feels a little bit more down the line. There's a lot of these Italian directors that are a little bit more left-leaning and are known to be sort of supporters of more left-leaning, potentially even communist parties. Um, And Mm. you can sort of see that in some of their films. Um, This one is more down the line. There's also some that are a little more right-leaning. And their films tend toward – they have a few films that might be a little bit more Dirty Harry-ish. 
where it's sort of okay. like crime is so bad, the system is messed up, we need to make the, the police system stronger and empower our policemen, uh, like bring back the death penalty and that sort of thing. So you do get a little bit right. of both. And I think, uh, I think the sort of political commentary of a lot of these films and the Polizioteschi genre uh, that this falls into uh, deals with sort of those modern issues in Italy during the 1970s of like, uh, this is bad, uh, and they have sort of different theories of the case on why that is and how to fix it. So this this film is interesting in the sense that it has both sides, and, and it doesn't necessarily, at least not obviously, side with either commissioner. Right. Yeah. No, I agree completely. Right. Um, what? Uh, so let's get back a little bit more into the nitty-gritty of the film. So the lead is played by uh, Gaston Motion, uh, who I think for uh, fans outside of Europe, especially outside of Italy, would most uh, would know him most from The Godfather Part Two, uh, where he okay. is in uh, flashbacks yeah. with De Niro, or yeah, with De Niro uh, playing Finucci who is the crime boss uh, that he eventually kills in the flashbacks uh, where mm-hmm. his gun gets on fire uh, and he's sort of twisted out of the towel uh, memorably. Uh, and he's in a number of other Italian films uh, in this era too. I, I feel like... He, I have a... I've, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I feel like... No, no. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the other person I wanted to bring up was Rocco, who is played by Mario Edorf. I don't know exactly how to say his last name, um, but he's in a bunch of Italian genre films from this era too. And there's sort of an interesting. I bring them up together because they're, they they play their roles totally differently from one another. Hugo very understated. He underplays his role. He sort of is reacting to most people. He's not a uh, proactive person until the very uh, until towards the end of the film. He's forced to just sort of react to. Rocco and uh, the uh, Americano's henchmen. Um, right. But what did you what did you make of either of those two, or the contrast between the two? Um, you know, I, I actually didn't think much about it. Um, I, I, I I mean, well, when it comes to acting, I think each character was supposed. Uh, I mean, the, the actors did exactly what they were, their roles were. So Rocco was supposed to be loud, bombastic, if you will. Very Italian. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Hugo was, you know, and and I think maybe this is why Wikipedia came up with that uh, whole concept of him going straight, because his character is quiet. He is uh, passive, as yeah. you as you as you described it. Uh, you know, it looks like he is trying to stay out of trouble one way or another. Right. Uh, by the way. Is it okay if I call him? Because uh, I don't think I'm going to remember the actor's name. So if I call him the Italian Jason Statham, do you think that would be okay? <laughs> you know, I was trying to think of who he is most uh, similar to. He's got a bit of that. Uh, Bruce Willis was the other one I thought of, but I mean, these are purely because of a bald head. Let's call him Italian Jason Statham, like <laughs> like understated uh, Jason Statham. I mean, Jason Statham is pretty understated. I don't think he's... Uh, and most of his characters are usually straight-faced, not much talking. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, like, like Bruce Willis is more of, uh, you know, your... Wisecracking, uh, has, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I thought of Jason Statham. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, what did you think of uh, his performance? 
I thought it was good. I thought it was uh, believable. Uh, the, I mean, generally speaking, the character didn't have much, uh, much expressions, but when he did, you know, you. It, I mean, you knew why. You knew he was uh, upset, even though he had a very complex plan to kill Americano to be able to live with that money. You can tell that he was uh, upset when, you know, Don Vicencio kind of died. I mean, kind of. He died. Yeah. When Don Vicencio <laughs> was shot. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, I'm actually kind of curious because it is stated, basically, that he had this very awesome plan, basically, to kill L'Americano, which, you know, L'Americano basically is killed by Chino. Yeah. How, how much but, do you think he actually had planned? This is one of the things I was going to ask. It seemed like I he... I, I totally buy that he was trying to egg Chino uh, into helping him just because he knows Chino's a badass and uh, he there's no way he could take out all of the Americano on his own. Uh, but it's unclear to me how much he like pre-planned this. Yeah, I don't think he planned it as much as... Uh... As much as at least Rocco gave him, gives him credit for. Yeah. Because <laughs> after everything, Rocco basically... I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, you should watch it. Uh, it's already been spoiled a thousand times. Yeah. But if you're still listening, I just want to point out. Rocco is... I mean, beyond, besides the uh, L'Americano, Rocco is the main antagonist here. Most of the time, Rocco, Rocco's sole job is just to beat the shit out of Hugo as much as he can. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> or give him shit. Yeah. Uh, so then, after Rocco finds, you know, after Americano is killed and Rocco sees Hugo with the bag with money, Rocco is like, you are God. Yeah. <laughs> he's so impressed by him that he's like automatically willing to like be his, basically, uh, his, uh, his henchman. Yeah, henchman, effectively. And he effectively also avenges uh, Hugo at the end. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I mean, just repeating, like, you cannot cross a man like Hugo. Piazza. Uh, like Piazza. <laughs> or, you cannot cross a man like Hugo Piazza. Yeah. As he's basically, I think, beating to death Luca. I'm not sure. I think Luca died. <laughs> I think so, too. I mean, uh, my other question with that was, did Nelly... Nelly had to survive, right? Like, oh uh, yeah, yeah. You, she, you she broke one her punch nose. was was rough, but that couldn't have killed anybody. No, no. Nelly, Nelly was alive for sure, although her face was fucked up. Yeah, he landed a strong one. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of blood. And one thing I was going to mention, though, uh, now that going back to the the brutality in you know in the opening. Sure, there were a lot of shootings in this movie. Uh, there was a lot of punching and hitting. But there was not a lot of blood. So you had blood in the barbershop scene. And you had a blood in a couple of other scenes. Yeah. But for the amount of shooting that the movie had, it was pretty clean. Like the entire, uh, the entire uh, mansion, uh, in La Americana's mansion, where basically everyone is killed by right. Chino and... There, were, there was very few, very little blood. Yeah. I wonder a bit if that has to do with the censors at the time and if this film had been made 10 years later, if it would have been much more bloody after all of those, like, 
Argento films, which which are extremely bloody and, and graphic, uh, come out. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, hard to say. Or maybe yeah. the director just preferred it. Or maybe they just didn't have the uh, special effects budget. Well, one thing I thought is maybe to uh, make... The, because the moments where you see blood are, are, are sort of felt more extreme. Right. Like, the, the punch... When he punches her right after he's killed. Yeah. Um, or, well, not... Right, right as, as he's dying um, is one of the few times when you see a punch drawing blood. Yeah. And it's, it almost so, makes it more effective that way. I mean, that punch mm-hmm. to me felt super brutal, super strong. Um, and maybe yes. part of it is because you've seen so little blood throughout the film and all of a sudden we have this one punch from Hugo and it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, and we see a little bit of blood. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, who were the people who came in at the last minute? The, when, uh, the cops? Loco... Were they the cops? Yeah, because, I, mean... I think they had followed okay. him. I think they followed him there. Okay. Yeah, because he seemed to be getting arrested. I mean, he uh, he's one of the lone survivors of the film, but <laughs> they just walked down on him beating a guy to death. So uh, I think Rocco is going to be in prison for a, a while. <laughs> <laughs> um. What, yeah. So, anyways, I wanted to go real quickly back to Rocco uh, Mario Adorf's performance. Um, I I originally saw this film and I thought it was like a bit too much as far as that. Like he is really going for it. He's going way over the top in this. Uh, he's just like extremely deranged of just like beating everyone up. He's like shouting most of the film. But now I, I've come mm-hmm. to kind of enjoy it. Uh, it's like a really nice uh, for me a counterbalance to uh, to. Uh, Italian Jason Statham's more subdued performance, <laughs> which is just like lacking in in energy in a lot of ways. So that, that, that those are my two cents on him. He makes a reappearance. He's the lead character actually in the next uh, uh, part of the trilogy from DeLeo Manhunt. Really, and it's a great uh, great vehicle for him because he is just dialed up the whole time too in this film. Uh, basically, playing a pimp that gets that's wrongfully framed. Um, and you get some great headbutting action. So if that sounds appealing <laughs> to you, it's it's probably the number one headbutting movie I've ever seen. So I uh, highly oh, recommend wow. it if you are a, a fan. If if that sounds interesting, I th- I think I will watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, to, to be honest, you got me into you got me into this because I'm probably gonna watch the other two movies. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do some of the other ones for for. Uh, the film to film podcast. What did you uh, did you like uh, Rocco's uh, performance? Yeah, uh, actually, well, so Rocco was the one that made me think most about Japanese movies because mm-hmm. uh, they had a, a similar intonation. I do wonder if there's a cultural thing about it where maybe Italians are have more of that, uh, you know, show that type of personality of being just very loud, very, uh, talk very quickly. Uh, because you see this in, <clears throat> with, Japan, uh, with Japanese movies, I notice usually the women are quiet, the men are quiet, but if there's a powerful man or a gangster, Yakuza or whatever, they're loud, especially when men. 
I feel like the Italian might be the, something similar. Not, maybe not so much with the women. I don't know about the women, but like with the men, it's like the powerful man has to be loud, has to be angry, has to be... Yeah. Very boisterous. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I actually think that upon my third viewing of this, that he's really important to the film in toward, terms of like just making sure that we have the uh, energy to make it towards the end. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, let's keep on going. Um, so this film, I do not think passed the Bechdel test. Uh, not not the Italian police films of the 1970s. Not not a great moment for uh, for feminism, <laughs> just in general. Um, so I, I just wanted to bring that up and and see if you had any thoughts on that. Um, I think most of the women in this film also. Like, was there only really one female character, Nellie? Well, I mean, yeah, there's only one named female character. However, this movie doesn't really name that many characters to begin with. Uh, when we're talking about the commissioner and the deputy commissioner, who later becomes a commissioner in the southern cities, yeah, we're using those words because we literally do not know. Yeah, I don't what know the names, names are right. Yeah, and and I don't think they have names. They are literally commissioner and deputy commissioner. Uh, I, this movie didn't there were very few people who were named and were only basically Rocco Hugo uh, Chino Don Vicencio uh, Pasquale and Luca I think everyone else like what was the name of the ginger guy with the curly hair who was quote unquote good at doing crossword puzzles what was his <laughs> name I have no idea yeah, yeah. me neither uh, I, I don't think he had a name. So uh, I think the movie really focused on a little bit of just the tension of that group. Um, the, the, there is another woman, another character in the movie. She was at the very opening. Oh, so yeah. People... Non-speaking. Uh, she got dynamited uh, pretty Non-speaking, fast. Non-speaking, she got dynamited. Yeah. yeah. But but she was actually one of the guys, basically. You know, like right. she was one of the. It, she was not a female character doing uh, a romantic role or anything like that. No, she was one of the gangsters. Right. And Nellie sort of has the role of uh, classic femme fatale in many ways, sort of a, a reference back to old yeah. noir, where she's part of like the double cross, where she teams up with Luca. Um, so th- this film had three Americans in major roles that I counted at least. One was uh, okay. Lionel Standish, who played the uh, Americano. Uh, the other one was Frank mm-hmm. Wolf, who plays the uh, the main commissioner, uh, the right-leaning one. And the third is actually Nelly, who is done by Barbara Boucher, who's in a ton of these Italian films, uh, both in Giallo, some of the Italian horror films, as well as the Poliziotesque genre Um did you have any thoughts on any of those three? I mean, I think the American I, influence is quite interesting. Uh, just throughout this whole genre, we hear about the currency as well. So anyways, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just very surprised that there were so many Americans. And by that, I mean, I'm very surprised right now. I didn't know about this just until now, that those characters were Americans. How did they speak Italian so well? I, I mean, one of the interesting things about these films is these are all pretty low-budget films, is the impression I get. At least most of them were. And so they oh. never do live sound. So they, uh, I mean, we're used to, we, both of us are based in America, so I think the American film market 
can do sort of do their films in English with like a lot of fancy equipment and stuff like that. But these Italian films, I think we're catering to a pretty foreign audience. I mean, we think about Europe and people in Germany speak German, people in France speak French. So I think they tried to do pretty massive dubbing operations afterwards. So I've watched a pretty interesting documentary on, on this genre called Eurocrime. And it sounds like uh, a lot of times the actors are just almost saying nonsense when they do the lines. They're just like, okay, now count to 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then they'll dub that over with the dialogue they use. So, wow. but it's pretty well okay. done. I mean, spaghetti westerns also dubbed, and I don't think a lot of right. people realize that. Well, well, I know that, I, and I knew, and I knew that they're dubbed in English. I just didn't know they were also dubbed in Italian. Yeah, yeah, dubbed uh, in every language. Uh, it explains a lot, to be honest, because yeah. when I was watching this movie, um, there were moments where the 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 sound and the lip movements were not matching and I was blaming it on my streaming. I was like, damn it, my Wi-Fi is acting up again. <laughs> but the fact that you weren't positive uh, that it was like the dubbing, I mean, shows that they did a reasonably good job for like a lowish budget film in the 19, early 1970s. True, true. Yeah, no, it's very impressive. Uh, although I must say, I mean, you assume it's not dubbed because they're talking a foreign language that you don't understand either. True, true. That's that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a couple assorted questions. You could call these nitpicks or or, or not, but All right. did you have any idea what they were smuggling? Um, electronics. Oh yeah. Why why do you think electronics? There was one scene where they talked about oh, shit. I should have wrote, and I didn't write it down, but they were talking about how they had a warehouse full of uh, I forget, but some sort of you know like low level appliance or <laughs> something like hmm. that, like some electronic appliance. Uh, so I figured that's probably what they were smuggling. Hmm. Yeah, I just assumed it was drugs, uh, just because their operation's so big that I had to assume that they. Uh, we're passing off money oh, for drugs. That actually, to be honest, or to correct myself, you're probably right. Uh, it was probably drugs. And I think, uh, again, in the conversation, when it was Chino, when Chino, Hugo, and um, Don Vicencio are talking about the difference between uh, mafias and, and gangs, they, uh, he does mention about, uh, you know, the, how you got these just drug peddlers just shooting each other up. Right. Uh, so yeah, no, you're probably right. Uh, it's probably drugs, and probably uh, they launder the money through electronics. Yeah, probably something like that. That would make sense. I mean, interesting too that The Godfather also sort of has that drug plot where they're talking about the new gangsters selling drugs and mm -hmm. stuff like that, even to Italians. Uh, one, uh, even though it's 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 bullshit because uh, at least in, in the U.S., I mean the the, the old gangsters, the old mafia. We're we're doing we're dealing with uh, alcohol during prohibition, which is well a drug. Yeah, so, kind I mean, of the same thing. Just, yeah, yeah. Depends on the drug, but yeah, I mean it's it's just as bad as a lot of ones. Um, yeah. Uh, so here is a question of what you would do. So you go in the movie. He gets three hundred thousand American dollars, and I looked mm -hmm. up the exchange rate from nineteen seventy two today. So that's about one point eight five million dollars. <laughs> Uh, and then yeah. he, the impression I get is he intentionally gets caught at a robbery uh, and gets sentenced to four years in jail. 
you, would you spend four years in jail for $1.85 million? No, man. I, I would, uh, I would uh, behave really well in jail, so I would get released a year early. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe get arrested for a slightly minor, more minor offense, maybe? Yeah, maybe big pocketing or yeah. something. <laughs> I think one of the funny parts of the movie is that throughout it, everyone seems to like everyone, and I mean everyone. It's like the Americano, Rocco, uh, Nelly. Everyone seems like eighty percent sure that Hugo is the guy with the money, but they're not like a hundred percent sure. So I think it's interesting that throughout the movie, everyone just assumes he is, other than the audience. And then we finally realize at the end that they are actually indeed correct. Yeah, no, to be honest, I thought, uh, because there was a, one scene where Nelly sort of plants this uh, idea, which is, what if L'Americano actually took the money himself and pretended that it went missing so he could do a bunch of other, a, 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 a bunch of other crimes and to hold, you know, Hugo as almost like an indentured servant until the, that money was paid off. And... I was like, oh, that that could be it. Yeah, you know. I mean, it sounds plausible. I mean, under movie logic, that almost sounds more likely than uh, you go taking the money. Yeah. Now it's a pretty cool plot twist. Yeah. Um, okay, so I had just a couple last scenes that I wanted to highlight before we wrap up. Uh, so we already talked about the opening scene, which I think is an awesome intro to it. The other parts that I really like were the other two scenes mm-hmm. I had were towards the very end. Uh, in particular, I think my favorite scene of the film is after the shootout. You know, the shootout's fine. I think it's a pretty standard action sequence. I, I think for me, the more exciting part is when he exits out of that gate in that green car and that soundtrack starts bumping again. And then you're like, yeah. oh, where is he going? As soon as you see him sort of take this off ramp to like what seems like sort of the boonies. And then he goes back mm-hmm. and he comes back with that duffel bag. Uh, filled with uh, the three hundred thousand uh, dollars, which is implied, and then uh, and then the other interesting part, the fun part, and probably the most tense part of the film, is he then gets pulled over by a cop, and he needs to go. Uh, who, who tells him that there was a shootout at the Americano's place, and he has to go back uh, to the police station to basically check in and. He's then forced to literally bring the $300,000 that everyone has been looking for the entire movie with him into the police station. Um, I, I got I to gotta interject there. I love the dialogue in that scene because they park the car. He's with a cop. A cop is, uh, uh, he is in his own car with a cop, in, a cop in the passenger seat. So he parks the car. He gets out of the car and the cop is like, what about your bag? And he's like, Who's going to steal a bag yeah. right next to the police station? And the guy's like, shut the fuck up. Just grab the bag and I'll take it with you. Yeah. And so he just takes crap for one last time and takes it up. And when he gets there, uh, the girls could easily rat him out. Um, but mm-hmm. Rocco, who realizes what happened, is so impressed with him that he tells – he sort of just gives the girls a nod. And they, uh, they say that, no, he wasn't there. And, and, and the things that they say are, are hilarious. <laughs> like yeah. how they're bullshitting the cops. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know how these gr- are tough girls, too, because, like, they just saw, like, 35 people die. <laughs> and they're just... And then, uh, and then they're smiling. They're I like... know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, okay, those are other... Okay, actually, those are two other women who were... Again, they were not named, though. So, yeah, that's the test the test. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was thinking of that, too. Um, another part... Uh, one thing I did like about the shootout is they, they avoided the movie convention where you kill, like, the boss last. Chino just, like, goes in there and he shoots the Americano. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and he's dead. So it's just like, oh, okay, well, that, that takes care of that. Well, that's what shows you that Chino is a professional. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, I think that was my favorite scene of it, uh, just the whole process of him getting the money, getting pulled over, and bringing it into the cop station. And it's really, really quiet in the cop station. I think it's a really well done mm-hmm. scene. It's tense. The dialogue's funny. And he gets out of there with the money, and you think he's going to get away. Yeah. Although, the movie keeps the tension low, because as soon as he calls Nelly, she's like, uh, it shows her with Luca, and she's like, all right, get ready to kill him, or something like that. Yeah. like, oh man, okay, you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and the final scene, where he goes to Nelly's, and he's like smoking a cigarette, uh, mm-hmm. I... I the fact that he just uh, he gets betrayed, he gets shot, punches her in the face, uh, then gets shot some more, and then Rocco comes in, kills Luca, and then it Rocco gets arrested, and the cigarette's still burning. Great touch, yeah, fantastic touch. Very good touch. Uh, I mean, it just shows shows how explosive that violence is at the end, where we have two dead bodies, um, a pretty beaten up person uh, who is Nelly. And Rocco getting arrested. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Very good. No, I, I agree. Um, that's something we couldn't... All right, if there's something that probably wouldn't happen as much now, it would be that cigarette. Today, people don't smoke as much as they did then. <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be a, uh, an e- e-cigarette. It'd have to be a vape. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, is it, speaking of things that didn't age... Uh, well, besides the uh, you know women's rights situation, and then you have when uh, Hugo first went to the police station. Uh, the commissioner was like, "Do you want anything to drink?" And he's like, "Brandy." And he's like, "Go get him a brandy." Basically, drinking brandy at a police station while smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, different era. Different era. Um, yeah, uh, so where did you watch this film? Did you watch this on uh, Amazon or? Uh, no, I watched it uh, using Canopy. Yeah, I, as, I, yeah. as did I. So um, for people not familiar, it's a service that you can go to if your public library uh, does it with them. And it's basically a streaming service where you can watch four or five movies a month. Um, and they actually have look a at, pretty good selection. Yeah, I know. Look at... Look at uh, Look at film to film, uh, doing a PSA for uh, library services. Yeah, I support it. I, I use my public library all the time. I use my uh, wife's library account to watch an extra five movies a month as well. So, <laughs> um, any uh, last thoughts on the movie? Anything that's aged well or poorly? Uh, I think that's just about it for my thoughts. No, I think uh, this is a very good movie. I highly recommend. Uh, as already mentioned. It's in the library, uh, actually, or through can- you can access it through Canopy. I believe that, or I hope that most public libraries have uh, access to Canopy. Yep. So you're in they, DC. You know, I'm in Seattle. So uh, we so, both had access to the same file. So right. uh, and I do think it's on Amazon Prime as well. If you don't have access to that, so 
Yeah, uh, but I mean, if you have access to that, to that, you know, don't give money to uh, Bezos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Support the public library. <laughs> yeah, unless unless Mr. Bezos, if you're listening, and uh, you know you want to pay for uh, sponsorships, uh, you know you know how to contact us. Bezos, if you're but, listening, you have a library card too. Watch it on Canopy. <laughs> <laughs> Support the public library. <laughs> okay well uh thank you all for tuning in um we're gonna sort of switch off on movie recommendations throughout this podcast so this was mine um i was hosting this one i think Inyaki will do the next one um so uh stay tuned uh we'll have another episode yeah. soon